Starting with number 40, first one that comes to mind, Gail Sayers, dynamic running back and return specialist, icon in Chicago Bears history, one of the hardest people to bring down ever. He only played seven seasons in the NFL. You know, he dominated at the University of Kansas, wore 48 there, which is retired, but he rocked the 40 with the Bears, and his 40 is retired with the franchise. Some say, you know... When he came in the league, he was ready to go, and he proved it, winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. He'd continue to dazzle, leading the league in rushing and making defenders look pretty foolish, especially for that day when he played. He'd have a really bad injury, though. He tore ligaments in his right knee, including the ACL, MCL, and meniscus. And being an ACL tear, it's not good. (laughs) So, uh, especially back then, I can only imagine. But, yeah, he was leading the league in rushing before injury. When he came back, you know, that injury was usually a death sentence back then. But he returned, and he was limited physically. But he still led the league in rushing, even winning Comeback Player of the Year along the way. He'd suffer another injury the following season. This one to his other knee. So, yeah, he was done. But, yeah, five five all-pro selections, four Pro Bowls. Still has the record for most touchdowns in a rookie season with 22. And he shares the record for most touchdowns in a single game with six. But maybe even his greater impact was off the field. Uh, his story, The story of his friendship with his teammate Brian Piccolo, who died of cancer in 1970. And inspired Sayers to write his autobiography, I'm Third, which was the basis of a 71 made-for-TV movie, Brian's Song. It's a really good movie, and uh, later in his life, Sayers would get diagnosed with dementia, which uh, some doctors say could be from his uh, football days, but he battled that tough illness till he passed away September 23rd, 2020, at the age of 77. But yeah, an iconic figure in the Chicago world. Next, number 40, totally different runner than Gail Sayers. I'm talking about the A-Train, Mike Allstott. He played with the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming out of Purdue, and, you know, most guys his sides were fullbacks, you know, blockers, but, nah, the Bucks used Allstott as, Allstott as the primary running back. He made six Pro Bowls, three all-team All-Pros, one second-team All-Pro. He was a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl-winning team over the Oakland Raiders scoring the first Super Bowl touchdown in Bucks history. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Ring of Honor, and he's in the Purdue Intercollegiate Athletics Hall of Fame. And NFL Network ranked him as the number 10, top 10 power running backs list. So he's a pretty good career for a guy that, you know, doesn't look like your typical running back. Um, sticking with the gridiron, we'll jump to the defensive side. Another number 40, we're talking Mike Haynes. He was a two-time All-American at Arizona State, which got him drafted fifth overall by the Patriots. He spent half his career there before going to the Raiders, but as a rookie with the Pats, he dominated right away, winning Defensive Player of the Year. He's considered one of the greatest Patriots of all time, and his number 40 is retired by the club. But he wouldn't win a Super Bowl until he went to the Raiders, and he was part of the Super Bowl 18 winning team that beat down on the Washington football team, I guess. He'd get his only two first-team All-Pro nods with the Raiders, six second-team All-Pros with the Pats. He's in the college and football pro, pro Football Hall of Fame. Sticking with the defensive secondary, next number 40, Dick Anderson. He was an All-American at the University of Colorado. 
his home state, but he'd get drafted by the Miami Dolphins where he'd spend his whole career as a rookie. He'd win the NFL, or sorry, AFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. And then he was part of the two Super Bowl winning teams, including that legendary 72 team that went undefeated and won the Super Bowl. Only team to do that. The Patriots are close, but didn't quite get it. And, uh, yeah, Anderson's part of the Dolphins Honor Roll and Dolphins Walk of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame, but he's just missed out on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's tied for most passes intercepted in one game with four. And I'll wrap up the football portion of this by talking about Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. Picked up his nickname from his unorthodox running style, and uh, yeah, this was way before my time, but uh, yeah, he was in the military until he was discharged in 46. He'd play the college all-star team before deciding to join the NFL and the Chicago Rockets. Yeah, the AASC. <laughs> he said he later regretted that decision, and then he joined the NFL, and the, and the LA Rams had the draft rights to him, and he'd have the best season of his career, setting an NFL record for yards and touchdowns. The Rams would win NFL champion the chip that year. His number four, he's retired by the University of Wisconsin, and he's in the Pro and College Football Hall of Fame. Leaving the gridiron for the hardwood, let's head look to the skies for the rain man, Sean Kemp, one of the best in-game dunkers in NBA history. If you haven't watched a highlight reel of Sean Kemp, check it out. It's insane. And, like, even his college start was pretty crazy. Like, he went to Kentucky but had to sit out his first season because of grades. And then he'd later leave Kentucky after he was accused of pawning two gold chains that were reported stolen by the coach's son, Sean Sutton. So... He transferred to Trinity Valley Community College, where he did not play. But after that season, he'd enter the draft, and he'd get drafted 17th overall by the Seattle Supersonics. And, yeah, him teamed up with Gary Payton. What a a one-two punch they were in the 90s, you know? They were at some bad parts. They were on the other end of the biggest upset in playoff history when that number one-seeded team lost to to Kembe Mutombo and the eight-seeded Denver Nuggets in the 94 playoffs. But... They picked up from there. You know, his best season was 95-96. This team got 64 wins, but, you know, they played the Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the final. The 72-win Bulls. They'd win it in six, but some say that was probably MJ's toughest finals battle was against the Supersonics team with Kemp and Peyton. But he'd get traded to the Cavaliers, and he'd put up a career high in points, but they'd lose in the playoffs, and... Yeah, there'd be an NBA lockout, and Sean Kemp, he had eating issues. He'd come back to camp around 315 pounds. He wouldn't, he'd finish out his career with the Blazers and Magic, but he was a shell of his old self, a big shell of his old self. He just, he battled weight problems, and yeah, it's it affects your game. You know, if he didn't have that constant battle, maybe he'd be in the Hall of Fame because he was dominant in his early days. Next b-ball mention, an icon in the Miami area. I'm talking about the recently retired Udonis Haslam. He went to high school in Miami. He went to college at the University of Florida. He played 20 seasons with the Miami Heat. Florida man through and through. He made the all-rookie second team, but that was about it for personal accolades. What he did were the small things on the court. Tough screens, play those tough defenses, get in people's faces, and he's well-respected throughout the NBA community. And I know his numbers don't jump at you, but I could see his number 40 going up in the in the banners for the Miami Heat. He was that important to, those franchi- to that franchise. 
Yeah, but uh, my last NBA mention, he's a current player, Sacramento Kings forward Harrison Barnes. He's been a consistent player since coming in the NBA. He was a beast at North Carolina, earning ACC Rookie of the Year his first season, second team All-American the next. He'd enter the draft, go to the Golden State Warriors. Big part of that, big contributor on that Warriors team that won the championship in 2015. However, the following season, after their seventy-three and nine historic season, beating that seventy-two and bull, seventy-two and ten bull season I alluded to earlier, Steph Curry was unanimous MVP. They were up three three to one in the finals against the Cavaliers before LeBron, Kyrie all came back. Draymond had that suspension, and in that finals, Harrison Barnes shot sixteen percent in the last three games of those finals. So. Barnes signed a huge contract to go to Dallas. Warriors weren't keeping him. They went with Kevin Durant. We know how that worked out with them. <laughs> Barnes was the leading scorer in Dallas, but he'd get traded to the Kings. During the middle of the game while he was sitting there, you could see you've been traded. And I was like, damn. But, uh, yeah, he's fit really fit really well with the Kings. He's not the main guy there, but he's fit into, like, a secondary third or fourth role, I guess. He's averaging around 12 per game with the Kings. Good, solid player. But, uh Go to hockey. First number 40, you got to think of Detroit Red Wings great Henrik Zetterberg. Swede had a, quite a career in the NFL. I can't believe he only made two All-Star games over his career. He won the Cup 2008 where, with the Wings where he won the Conn Smythe. On that title run, you get 13 goals, sharing a record with Johan Franson and 27 points, the Detroit Red Wings record. So he did well representing Sweden, winning gold at the Winter Olympics in Turin and then gold again at the World Championships the same year. But injuries kind of made Zetterberg retire earlier than he'd hope. He still sits fifth all time on the career points list with the Red Wings. It's a pretty good franchise, but I don't know. I think I can see his number getting retired there, but I don't know if he'll make the Hall of Fame. I, we'll see. <laughs> Next 40 I'll mention was a really good goaltender. I'm talking about Bruins tender, former tender, Tuka Rask. The Finnish goalie played his entire career with the Bruins and was part of that 2011 Stanley Cup winning team. He only made two All-Star games, but did win the Vezina in 2014. He'd go on to break many Bruins records. Some include most games by a goaltender for Bruins history, most wins by a Bruins goaltender, most playoff wins, yada yada. So I think his number 40 will get retired, but I don't know. He's borderline Hall of Fame. We'll see what happens there. We'll go from the rink to the diamond, and we'll wrap this jersey segment up with baseball, starting with Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner, and Stretches. He was one of the dominant pitchers of his era, you know, especially in the postseason, definitely in the postseason. The Giants, Bumgarner would win three World Series, each two years apart, 2010, 2012, and 2014, winning NLCS and World Series MVP in 2014. And he could hit, not talking Otani hitting, but... He two Silver Slugger awards and hit two Grand Slams during the 2014 season. Like I said, Mad Bum, he's a beast in the postseason. All kinds of World Series record, including a .25 ERA in the World Series. Longest save in a World Series with five innings in Game 7 of 2014. Highest career one-loss percentage, 1,000%, meaning he doesn't lose in the World Series in like... He's a beast, a true warrior. I think he's done enough in the postseason that should put him in the Hall of Fame. I hope so. It'll be close. Next pitcher I'll mention feels like he's been pitching forever. Talking about the Dominican Republic legend Bartolo Colon. He played his last season in the MLB in 2018, but he had major stops everywhere, starting back in 1997 with Cleveland. He suited up for the Montreal Expos, the White Sox, Angels, Red Sox, Yankees, A's, Mets, Braves, and Twins. Make four all star games, winning the AL Cy Young in 2005 with the Angels. But 
Longevity was the name in the game for Cologne, becoming the oldest player to hit his first career home run when he blasted one at 42 with the Mets. Took him a while around the bases, but yeah, and he was the last player in the league to have played with the Expos. Uh, after his time with the Rangers, he went in the Mexican League. He'd retire earlier this year until, yeah, this past October when he was selected in the second round by the Karachi Monarchs. That's a team in the Baseball United League. It's an up-and-coming professional league in the Middle East and South Asia. So, yeah, he's 50 years old, so I'm interested in if he'll participate. I mean, it's probably got to be a pretty good paycheck. Sticking with pitching, let's go with a guy who was great with Toronto last year, this past season, Chris Bassett. He led the AL in wins, and, uh, yeah, he just signed that three-year, $63 million contract after that one year in New York. Before that, he was with Oakland, spending most of his time there after a brief stop with the White Sox. But, yeah, he's a really good pitcher. I hope the does well, just does as well next season with the Jays. Um, we'll wrap up the 40th version of our Jersey segment with a, our last baseball mention, Wilson Contreras, catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, came up with the Cubs and made huge plays in that historical World Series win in 2016. I don't know, ending a 108-year drought. So he'll go in the folk, folklore for that performance. And he did piss off fans by joining the rival Cardinals with a huge contract, but... Yeah, the Venezuelan born Contreras, his brother also plays in the MLB with the Brewers. So that's the Jersey segment. Now to the crazy week of sports we had. Week 13, it wrapped up with a bang last Monday. I'll admit, I thought the Jags would win that one with ease. I didn't expect Jake Browning to carve him up. Throwing 37 passes, only five incompletions. It was a back and forth game, but. The real big issue was when Trevor Lawrence would get down, his ankle, his lineman would step on his ankle, he'd go down, he'd get up to try to walk, and would crumble the ground. You'd hear a collective groan throughout the stadium. It was a brutal scene, but yeah, the Bengals would go down, McPherson would hit a 48-yard field goal, get the win, but the big concern was Trevor Lawrence, and how would he be? You know, a high ankle sprain is not a good injury by any means. Not any any injuries are good, but that one, yeah, not ideal. Um, the Thursday game, you had Patriots and Steelers. It wasn't the flashiest of games. Mitch Trubisky struggled, as young quarterbacks do against Bill Belichick. But, wow, the Patriots' offense looked good, scoring three touchdowns in the first half. Did I, is that real? The zap, zap Daddy looked pretty good. And if you had Ezekiel Elliott, he put up some points in fantasy there. So... Big win for the Patriots on their disappointing season, but disappointment city for the Steelers, losing back-to-back 2-10 and teams. Like, is this real life? Should that happen? They're 7-6 and six now in that very tight AFC playoff race, but I, they could be in jeopardy of Mike Tomlin having his first below 500 year. We'll see. On Sunday, there were some pretty wild games, too. Like... <laughs> This game wasn't exactly that wild, especially the first half between Texans and Jets, where you'd have no scoring in the entire first half. Then the second half, Zach Wilson looked like a decent quarterback, moving down the field, hitting Randall Cobb for a touchdown, following that up with another touchdown. The Texans would get one back through Devin Singletary, but they'd miss the extra point. They lost Nico Collins in the first half to a calf injury, but the big issue was in the second half, late or midway through the fourth quarter, C.J. Stroud would take a big hit. He'd lay there for a while. The back of his head hit the turf on the hit, and he laid there. He'd have to leave the game. Davis Mills would replace him. It was announced Stroud was in concussion protocol, so he would not return. We'll see what happens with him going forward. The rookie has been amazing all year, so hopefully it's nothing too serious, but... 
Another great game, Rams and Ravens. This one turned out to be really good. Uh, it could have went any directions. Ravens would go ahead on a 50-yard, 54-yard touchdown from Jackson, the likely. The Rams came back with Cooper Cup from Stafford. Ravens go on a huge bomb that Odell Beckham Jr. would score against the team he won a Super Bowl with. Rams rookie Davis Allen would have to step up with no Higby. He'd catch one from Stafford for a touchdown. Second half would go no different. Rams would get a safety when the snap would go over Lamar's head, and he'd just blast it with a kick into the end zone. And, uh, yeah, the Rams would march down a field, get a field goal, force overtime after a wonderful play by Lamar Jackson. hitting Zay Flowers to go ahead, and you'd think they had it. But Stafford, that's what he does, is leads his team down late. They got the field goal, forced overtime. They couldn't get anything going, so they punted it. And Tylen Wallace, he's backup returner with Duvernay out, and he returned it all the way. Walk off punt return, stole the game, stole the win. Big win for the Ravens, best team in the NFC. They're they're looking good. That was a Tyson, what tight one though. The Rams, who'd have thought? They're they're a tough tough out out there. You had Panthers and Saints. This was a brutal one. You know, that NFC South is rough. The Panthers' defense, though, they fought to keep this in game despite. Another lackluster play at quarterback. Bryce Young didn't throw a touchdown, threw under 50%, didn't even break 150 yards. It's tough to win a game like that. But going to the fourth quarter, it was still an eight-point game, but Saints would put it away. The Saints got touchdowns all over. Kamara scored a touchdown. They'd block a punt, return for a touchdown. Derek Carr had two touchdowns late. Saints stay alive in that shithouse division. Panthers, yikes, if season from hell continues... Colts and Bengals, this one was very interesting. Jake Browning would hit Canadian running back Chase Brown for a 50-yard touchdown play. Cincy would answer, or would score on the next drive with Joe Mixon, you know, switching it up with the running backs here. And then, uh, yeah, the Colts on a fourth down play, you're like, are they going to pick up the first down? No, Gardner Minshew would hit Mo Alley Cox for a touchdown. Then the Bengals were like, hey, maybe we'll get some points for the half ends. Uh-oh, Browning threw a pick six to Ronnie Harrison. So it was all tied up going into the break. But in the second half, it was all Bengals. Browning would hit uh, Hudson for a touchdown before running one in of his own. But then Browning would leave the game. It looked like he'd have thumb issue. It turns out it was hand cramps. He said he wasn't drinking enough water. A.J. McCarron would finish the game for the Bengals as they crush the Colts and take a big win there. Buccaneers and Falcons, you'd have a few field goals exchanged for the Falcons were looking to score, but a Carlton Davis would intercept Desmond Ritter, setting the Bucks up to go down the field, and Baker Mayfield would run one in, giving Tampa the lead. Falcons would answer when Desmond Hitter would hit a very wide open Kyle Pitts for 36 yards, no one close to him. And everybody was typing, hyping up Young Hui Koo. Coming in, you know, the highest field goal percentage in NFL history now, but he doinked one. And then he'd miss another one over 50, and the, uh, the Buccaneers would have a 12-10 lead going into halftime. Shad White would make a big play for Mayfield to increase the lead, but the Falcons would answer with Bijan Robinson. And then uh, the Falcons would go, again, go to, again go down the field, and Desmond Ritter would show off his legs getting into the end zone the Get the lead again for the Falcons, but Baker Mayfield, it's, he, he shows up periodically clutch here. Go down the field, hit Kate Auten, Buccaneers take the win, take the lead. Big win for Tampa Bay as they now take sole possession of that shithouse division. The three teams are all in it to win the division, and they're all under 500. It's just the, the woeful Panthers in that basement with their one win. Yikes. Jaguars and Browns. I had mentioned Trevor Lawrence and that high ankle sprain that he picked up last Monday, but he suited up. He toughed it out. And 
It'd be Joe Flacco lighting it up early, hitting David Joku for a big touchdown before hitting him again for another 30-yard touchdown. <laughs> it looked like they were rolling. He'd hit Amari Cooper, but he'd fumble. Jags would recover, and Lawrence would hit Evan Engram, who had a great game for a touchdown. And as the Jags were looking to tie it up, a costly fumble by the Jags would lead the Browns recovering, and Kareem Hunt would go in the Wildcat and score. Etienne would answer. You'd have a little back and forth. Then the Jags would score late and uh, try to make it a three-point game, but instead of kicking the extra point, they went for two. Didn't get it, so it was a four-point game, but they didn't get the onside kick anyway. But, yeah, big win for the Browns. Tough loss for the Jags, but shout-out to Joe Flacco. He's the only Joe killing it in Ohio right now, so good on him. You had Lions and Bears being NFC North match. The home team would jump out on the Lions early, though. Justin Fields would hand it off to DJ Moore, who would scamper in for the end zone, and Bears would follow that up with a field goal before the Lions finally answered. Jamar Gibbs would run in a touchdown, and just before halftime, Jerry Goff would hit Josh Reynolds. And Yeah, going in the second half, it was all Bears from there, though. DJ Moore would get another score, this time a passing play from Fields, and then Fields would run one in of his own. Bears shock the Lions, take the big division win, make those Lions look very mediocre. Uh, Seahawks 49ers, big news before that game, it was announced Geno Smith would miss the game. Drew Locke would get the start, and 49ers would score less than a minute in the game when Jordan Mason would run a short one in. And the Seahawks would answer like almost immediately when Drew Locke would hit DK Metcalf on a perfect throw, tie it up, and... 49ers would get a big play when Debo Samuel would catch a 54-yard touchdown pass, putting the 49ers ahead at halftime. And then a neat little play where it was a fake screen in each direction. Drew Locke would hit Kobe Parkinson for a big touchdown. But the 49ers would immediately answer again. Purdy would hit George Kittle for a huge touchdown. Drew Locke would try to come back, throw another pick, and... Yeah, things were starting to get heated at this point after another Drew Locke pick. A scuffle would ensue, and DK Metcalf let his anger get the best of him. Fights kind of went down. Metcalf and then Lenore would get, for the 49ers, would get ejected. 49ers just crushed division foes as they take the big win. A game that had absolutely no scoring. It had some hype coming in because Justin Jefferson was returning for the Vikings, but in the second quarter, he took a big hit in the back. He had to go to the locker room. It was then said he was transported to the hospital for further testing. <laughs> Excuse me, but that was really the only news in this game. Like, it was 0-0. And then <laughs> with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Vikings said, fuck it. They benched Joshua Dobbs, put Nick Mullins in. Kind of kick-started the offense a bit, enough to get a field goal. So they went up 3-0 just after the two-minute warning, which is insane to me how in 2023 this is the score. But it is what it is. The Raiders would have a chance to answer. O'Connell would throw a pick. Vikings win 3-0 on the road. Lowest scoring game in 16 years. I remember that Pittsburgh-Miami game 16 years ago. The weather was awful. They punted the ball, and I remember it, like, stuck in the ground. That could explain a 3-0. This... This was just bad football, but hey, the Vikings are still in a playoff spot, and uh, yeah, the Raiders, that was a tough one. (laughs) Broncos Chargers, early on, Justin Herbert had a deflected pass intercepted. Broncos would score right away with Javante Adams running one in. His first touchdown, rushing touchdown since December of 2021. 
Broncos had a lead going in the halftime, and then there'd be news Justin Herbert. He picked up a finger injury, and he wouldn't come back in, and he'd be replaced by Easton Stick. And it didn't really help the Chargers that much. Russell Wilson would hit Cortland Sutton on a beautiful throw and deep ball. Eckler would get one back for the Chargers, but the Broncos would hit Troutman on a touchdown from Wilson. Staying in the AFC playoff race, the Broncos, with the Chargers, it's just... More Charger things, I guess. It's Hopefully it's not a big injury for Herbert, but even when he's in there, they're not winning. Maybe it's time for Staley to go. Bills and Chiefs, this was a big matchup. Two AFC teams that have been great over the last few years, you know, and Bills would jump on the Chiefs early. Allen would hit James Cook on a wide-open passing play for the score before running one in on his own that turned into a little rugby scrum. And then the final two minutes of the half, which Mahomes usually does, he scored a touchdown hitting Jarek McKinnon. Second half, you know, the Bills get a field goal before the Chiefs would answer and Mahomes would hit Rasheed Rice for the touchdown. Then early in the fourth, Chiefs would tie it with a field goal before the Bills would hit a field goal with 1.54 left in the game. It's a lot of time for Patrick Mahomes, right? He moves the ball down the field. You'd see one of the greatest plays ever. Mahomes would hit Travis Kelsey, who before getting tackled threw a perfect lateral across the field to Kadarius Toney, who ran it into the end zone. A picture-perfect play. It would have been everywhere, all over the highlights, except there was a flag on the play. The guy who scored the touchdown, Kadarius Toney, lined up outside, offside, and not by a little bit, like half of his foot was offside. It's unreal how offside he was. So, yeah, they took away the score. Bill's defense held up, and they escaped Arrowhead with the win to keep their playoff hopes alive. You like, I've never seen Patrick Mahomes that angry after a game screaming at everybody, but... That's a tough loss to think you've won it with one of the best plays in NFL history just to have it taken away. That was rough. Uh, the nightcap game, this was everyone was hyping up. Big NFC matchup between the Eagles and Cowboys. Many were questioning if the Cowboys were the real deal, and they looked it. They started the game off with Dak hitting CeeDee Lamb for a touchdown. Then former first-round pick in the MLS, the Cowboys kicker Brandon Aubrey would smash a 60-yard field goal. It's amazing what this guy's doing. I don't know why more former soccer players don't do this. But uh, the Eagles would get some Jake Elliott field goals, but the Cowboys would get the touchdowns. Rico Dowdle would run one in. Dak would throw a touchdown to Michael Gallup just before halftime. It looked like Philly would come back, maybe. Jalen Carter scooped up a fumble, returning it for the touchdown. But the Cowboys' defense wouldn't allow Jalen Hurts and Philly to do anything, really. Mika Parsons picked up another sack, moving him to 12. Joining him with one of my favorite players, Reggie White, as the only player to get 12 sacks in each of their first three seasons. But remember, they didn't officially start counting them until 1982. But that's still pretty good company right there. Cowboys look really good, humbled their divisional foes, and they have sole position at this moment of the NFC East. Um, There's two games Monday. Kind of weird they're doing that again. One of them's Packers and Giants. My Packers are currently in a playoff spot. Hopefully they can win and keep this alive, keep that three-game winning streak going. They're looking to improve on that spot, that playoff spot. They're missing Christian Watson, which could be big, but... They're going in the DeVito territory. DeVito has got the Giants looking good. They've run a two-game winning streak. That's good for them. So this should be a good game. I'm hoping Jordan Love shines, gives the Packers the win. But I'm not going in expecting anything. It'll be a tough game. The other game is the Titans and Dolphins. And this one should have a bit of emotion. Over the weekend, Titans legend Frank Wycheck passed away. 52 years old. 
former t- tight end was said to have fallen outside his home in the morning and is found unresponsive in the afternoon. Sad news, you know, Wycheck was famously remembered for the Music City Miracle where a play on the kickoff against the Bills in the playoff game, he threw a backwards lateral across the field, much like the one Kelsey did that didn't count, but this one counted. He threw it across the field to Kevin Dyson, who ran in the touchdown, giving the Titans the win. But, yeah, sad news to see someone go so young, but despite me saying all that nice stuff with the Titans, I think the Dolphins are going to crush the Titans. Monday Night Football, this Titans team, I don't think they can score with the Dolphins, so... Yeah, that's the NFL in a nutshell. But MLB, I don't usually jump to baseball next, but uh, especially with the season not being on, but massive news in the MLB. Shohei Otani is staying in LA, but with the Dodgers. He signed the largest contract in North American sports. The Japanese superstar signed a 10-year, $700 million contract. Yeah, $700 million. Mind-blowing. There were reports that obviously turned out to be false, that Otani was flying to Toronto. All this build-up that the Blue Jays could maybe get him was just all Buzz Killington. I don't know how much of a chance they had, but yeah, this Dodgers lineup looks even more dangerous. You know Otani's going to be in the playoffs there. <laughs> the Blue Jays, I don't know what they got to do next. They got to figure something out. This is uh, not landing Otani was big for them, but I don't know what they're going to do going forward. Speaking of players the Jays didn't get, Yankees stayed in their division, acquiring Alex Verdugo from the Boston Red Sox. And then they followed that up by acquiring Juan Soto from the Padres. So big moves by the Yankees trying to make up for their really disappointing season last year where they didn't make the playoffs. So going the footy, there were big news midweek. Canadian icon Christine Seclair put on the Canadian up kit for the last time. They took on Australia out in Vancouver at Christine Sinclair Place. The crowd was massive, tons of pregame hype. Canada would go ahead on a Quinn goal, and that was the only goal of the game. After the goal, Christine Sinclair was subbed off, massive standing ovation, embracing with everyone. Perfect send-off for our GOAT, you know, all-time leading international goal scorer, male or female, with 190 goals, so... Tip my hat to you, Christine Sinclair, the GOAT, perfect ambassador of the game. And the Premier League, tons of footy going on. You had midweek games, weekend games. Start with Aston Villa. Unai Emery, man, he's got that Villa team playing something else, like some of the best footy they've ever played in the Premier League. During the week, they'd host defending champs Man City, and they looked a better team all game. Bailey would have his shot deflected into the net given Villa the lead and the eventual win. How would they follow that up? They'd host Arsenal, and there was some personal importance here. You know, Emery was appointed manager of Arsenal after legend Arsene Wenger retired. He didn't have the greatest spell there. He was criticized, but he's been good everywhere he's gone since. And he'd get a great start with Villa in this one. McGinn would score seven minutes in. Arsenal would think they equalized in the 90th minute, but a handball would prove otherwise. And Villa beating two of the best teams in the Premier League in one week. Fantastic footy coming from them. I mentioned Arsenal's tough loss to Villa, and during the week they were involved in a wild one with newly promoted Luton Town. Goals from all over the pitch. Luton Town would go ahead via Ross Barkley in the 57th minute. That only lasted three minutes, that lead. Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz would equalize. Then the seventh minute of stoppage time, former West Ham star Declan Rice would score, giving Arsenal the 4-3 lead and win. All goal, all goal scorers... All seven goals were scored by different people, sorry. My West Ham had a roller coaster week. We'd go down to Tottenham 1-0, 11 minutes in. 
two goals in the second half would complete the Hammers comeback. So pumped winning that London Derby with Tottenham. We'd have another lot in London Derby on the weekend against Fulham at Craven College, and this one did not go well. Fulham destroyed West Ham 5-0. I don't know if they were feeling themselves over the Tottenham win, but Fulham crushed them. I should have expected this out of Fulham, though. Midweek, they laid the boots to Nottingham Forest, also beating them 5-0. Marco Silva has this team playing right the right, right way, big time. Five goals in back-to-back games. Yikes. Liverpool had a good week. They'd go on the road and beat newly promoted Sheffield United. They'd follow that up by going into London and beating Crystal Palace at the end of the game. It looked like it could be a tie. Palace were clinging to that point, but substitute Harvey Elliott would come on and blast it into the net to give Liverpool the victory. Mentioned Man City lost midweek to Villa, but they'd go into Luton Town on the weekend without Erling Haaland, who picked up an injury in the game prior, and they found themselves down at half, 1-0 after a stoppage time goal in the first half, but two goals in three minutes by Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish would give City the win there. Man United had an up-and-down week as well. They'd host Chelsea and win 2-1 behind a Scott McTominay brace. And they'd follow that up by hosting Bournemouth and losing 3-0. It was pretty brutal. (laughs) Solanke would score five minutes in, offer a brutal Bruno Fernandes pass, and then two late goals in the second half had Old Trafford fans raining boos onto the pitch. It was loud and very angry. Analysts and former Man U players Michael Owen and Owen Hargreaves harshly criticized the club and questioned what their identity is under Eric Ten Hag. Not a good time there. <laughs> Talked about Bournemouth and their great play at Old Trafford. During the midweek, they went to London and shout out Crystal Palace. Got a shout out their manager, Spanish-born Andoni Iriola. He has, he's got Bournemouth playing some of their best football, unbeaten in five, and four of those have been wins. I mentioned Chelsea's loss to Man U. They'd follow that up with another loss, this time to Everton. Everton picking up consecutive wins, beating Newcastle midweek before that Chelsea win. They've been looking really good since that 10-point reduction and already find themselves out of the drop zone. Speaking of Newcastle, they took that 3-0 loss to Everton. That was rough. Kieran Trippier was responsible for two giveaways that led to goals. And then they'd go into London and get destroyed by Tottenham. They looked so bad this past week. Uh, That win for Tottenham was big after that West Ham loss. They needed a win. That was their first win after losing five matches prior. Not winning five matches prior. They did have a draw in there. Wolves had a good week, beating Burnley at home before drawing with Nottingham Forest on the weekend. Burnley followed that Wolves loss by securing a point with Brighton. And Brighton beat Brentford midweek. And Brentford followed up that by losing the Sheffield United on the weekend. So, a lot of games going on there. But after each team played two matches this week, it's changed the table up a bit. Liverpool sits atop the Premier League. They have a one-point lead over Arsenal. And then in third, you have Aston Villa, who leapfrogged Man City with their wins over the weekend and the midweek, including that one over Man City. Going to Germany, if you thought they were surprised in the Premier League, the Bundesliga had some of their own. Bayern Munich would go into Frankfurt and lose to Eintracht Frankfurt 5-1. Frankfurt would just keep coming and coming and pummeled the defending champions. Red Bull Leipzig went into Dortmund and won 3-2. Union Berlin picked up a big win over Mönchengladbach, ending their 16-game winning streak. Winless streak, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hoffenheim beat Bochum, Heidenheim beat Darmstadt in a thriller, Freiburg beat Wolfsburg, and Veda Bremen beat Augsburg. Two teams near the top of the table, Stuttgart and Bayern Leverkusen, they drew 1-1. After those crazy matches, Leverkusen has a four-point lead over Bayern Munich. Stuttgart and Leipzig are just behind the defending champions. 
Shout out to German third tiered side Saarbrücken in the German Cup midweek. They kept the upset train upset train going when they beat Eintracht Frankfurt, knocking them out of the round of sixteen. Maybe that's what pissed off Frankfurt so much to have them beat up Bayern and that Saarbrücken team before they knocked out Frankfurt here week prior to the the game prior. They had knocked Bayern Munich out, so this is the little club that could right now. So hopefully Saarbrücken can keep their German Cup going here. In the La Liga, the biggest game of the weekend was between Spanish Giants Barcelona and surprise team Girona. It would be the visitors that would come in and surprise the Catalan club, though. Barcelona had more shots, but Girona had the ones that counted. Barca, they beat Barca 4-2. A huge win for the club that continues their heart's heart, hot start to the season. Getafe would pick up a win over Valencia, where each team had a red card. Las Palmas, Real Sociedad, Atletico, and Mallorca all picked up wins. That Mallorca win was a surprise over Sevilla. Real Madrid would have a tough road match against Real Betis, and they draw. But really scary scenes in Granada. Their match with Athletic Bilbao was postponed after a fan suffered cardiac arrest in the stands and died. It was said the Granada fan had been a season ticket holder for 16 years. That's tragic. Like, you know, it's unknown when the game will conclude, but that's the last thing on people's minds after that. It's just brutal. There's still one match to go in La Liga on Monday, but... uh, after those games, my Girona, they've sole possession of the La Liga. Real Madrid's right behind them, and Atletico and Barcelona are equal in points for the third and fourth spot. Going to Italy, the Italian league featured a dandy to start. Juventus would end up beating defending champions Napoli off a 51st-minute goal by Federico Gatti. Atalanta, this was a thrilling game against AC Milan. It was tied 2-2, and stoppage time, AC Milan defender Calabria would receive a second yellow card. they go a man down. Not even two two minutes later, substitute Muriel would get a sick back heel for his first goal of the season, put Atalanta ahead, and they'd take the win. Inter would crush Udinese 4-0. Mons and Bologna picked up wins, and the other results were draw. There are still two games to go on Monday. Inter Milan, they still lead the Serie A. Juventus just behind them. But then there's a seven-point gap to the third-seeded AC Milan, and then Roma and Bologna are tied for fourth and fifth. In France, a lot of close games. Monaco beat Rennes, PSG beat Nantes, Nice beat Reims, Brestois beat Metz, Strasbourg beat Le Havre, and Marseille beat Lorient. But Lyon, man, they needed to, they needed a win, and they got one. A big win over Toulouse, 3-0, where former Arsenal striker Alexander Lacazette would get a hat-trick for the home side. PSG still leads the French League. Nice, Monaco, and Lille round up the top four. The MLS Cup, the long and winding road note as the MLS playoffs concluded over the weekend. The Columbus crew would get two first-half goals in the final against LAFC. The defending champs would get one back to try to come back, but they'd come up short. Columbus crew win their third MLS Cup in their franchise history, so congrats to them. Jumping to hockey here, got to talk Edmonton Oilers. Seven in a row now. They're, look, they're looking good doing it, too. They went 3-0 this past week, scoring at least four goals each game. McDavid had seven points in those three games, and this team is starting to look like the team you kind of expected them to be, right? <laughs> Sticking with all Canadian teams, how about those Winnipeg Jets? They're on a four-game winning streak of their own, beating up on the Avalanche during this stretch. Kyle, Kyle Connor's been a stud, lighting it up. The Canucks are still looking good as well. So it's really good for the Canadian teams out west. The Flames, they haven't been too consistent, but everyone else has looked all right. The Golden Knights, they continue to lead the west as they try to repeat as champions. Out east, look out for my Philadelphia Flyers. They're on a four-game winning streak, beating the Penguins, Yotes, and Avalanche over the past week. 
Toronto has had some good games as late as well, and they find themselves moving up the standings. I mentioned it in podcast prior. This East is damn tight. Everyone is pretty much in it, it seems. The Bruins and Rangers still sit atop the East, but those other teams are starting to creep up on them. A rough scene over the weekend in the Red Wings-Senators game. Red Wings' Dylan Larkin took a shot while in front of the net, and he just crumpled to the ice. He was laying there motionless, face down. It was rough to see. The stretcher came out, but they were able to get Larkin up and help him skate off. But it was a shot to the head by Matthew Joseph. It didn't look too crazy, but the result was terrible. David Ferron turned around for the Red Wings and saw Larkin down, and he just saw Artem Zub standing nearby. So he just went after and, like, cross-checked Zub in the head, which that looked pretty violent. Perron got ejected. He was just like, I gotta hit somebody, you! And yeah, it was rough, but the Senators end up winning that game, and they needed a win. They've been struggling as of late. Nikita Kucherov, the Lightning, he continues to lead the league in points at 47, leading the league in goals as well with 19. Vancouver's Brock Bosler and Toronto's Austin Matthews are just behind him at 18. Golden Knights goalie Aiden Hill continues to lead the league in goals and goals against average and save percentage, and... Number one overall pick, Connor Bedard, continues to lead the league in scoring, although his Blackhawks continue to take their lumps and struggle in the basement of the Western Conference. But you kind of expected that. Big match in boxing over the weekend. Devin Haney took on Regis Progras, and Haney talked a bunch of shit leading up to this fight, how much he'll dominate Progras, and turns out he wasn't kidding. This one went a full 12 rounds. But Haney put on a performance. He'd pepper Progra with punches and hitting a lot of them with power. And he'd also dance around his opponent whenever he tried to hit him. What it was a really good display. I was very impressed with it. The 25-year-old showed off his skills, unanimous decision, winning the WBC super lightweight title. He's now 31-0, 15 knockouts, two division world champ. Like I said, watch the highlights on that. He shows off a real really great display of boxing. Um, big news in the golf world, former number one ranked golfer John Ram signing with Live Golf. The numbers are still rumored, but they're kind of ridiculous. It's between 400 to 600 million. Like that's almost Otani money there. <laughs> NCAA, we had some wild basketball going down on the men's side. There were some big games that were part of the Jimmy V classic during the mini middle of the week. And I don't know if you've watched Jimmy V's acceptance speech at the ESPYs, but it's one that I can listen to every day. Like, he had a battle with cancer, and just talking about never give up. Whatever you do, never give up. He would pass a few months after the speech, but man, it almost always gets me misty-eyed. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's a very... I was getting there now. It's a good one to watch, guys, I'm telling you. But there was games to be played. Illinois would win a close one over Florida Atlantic. That game was followed by North Carolina and last year's champ, UConn. The Huskies would pull away late and take the win over the Tar Heels. Kansas would win an easy one over Kansas City. Baylor beat Seton Hall, stand defeated. BYU beat Evansville and Oklahoma beat Providence, both those teams remaining undefeated. Then Grand Canyon University would surprise San Diego State. They didn't see that coming. Over the weekend, there were some good games, too. Arizona trouncing Wisconsin. They're still like the number one team in the country. Kansas looked good against Missouri. Houston stayed undefeated with their win over Jackson State. Purdue escaped with a win over Alabama that took place in Toronto. Canadian fans could see their big guy, Zach Eady, the big Canadian, drop 35 points and seven boards in their win. 
UConn, Marquette, Creighton, Texas, Kentucky, and Duke all picked up one-sided wins. Previously undefeated Colorado State lost their first game of the season to St. Mary's. And BYU was also undefeated until dropping a close one to Utah. Illinois beat Illinois. Tennessee beat, beat Illinois in a battle of top 20 teams. Clemson and Oklahoma stayed undefeated on the season. Clemson beat a previously undefeated TCU, while Oklahoma beat a tough Arkansas team. Both of those guys moved to 9-0. and Then on Sunday, all eyes were on USC as Bronny James made his debut for the Trojans after suffering that cardiac arrest earlier in the year. They took on Long Beach State, and what a game. LeBron was in the crowd, fresh off winning the in-season tournament the night prior with the Lakers. Again, if you want NBA coverage, check out my NBA recaps on my YouTube and Spotify page. But uh, USC went cold late, and they could not buy a free throw. Brody made a big steal late, and he'd only hit one of two free throws to make it a two-point game. But Marcus Shonis, man, he hit a crazy shot for Long Beach State to tie the game and force overtime. He finished with 28 points off the bench. He was a stud for Long Beach State. They jump out to a quick lead in the extra frame, and they'd never look back, taking the big win and spoiling Brody. Ronnie's debut, but the difference was Long Beach State hit their free throws while USC struggled. I got to see more of Collier. I hear he's one of the best freshmen in the country. He looked it, but man, he's got to hit those free throws. The guy can get to the hoop anytime he wants, so man. On the women's side, there were some crazy games midweek. Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, UConn all picked up one-side victories. Ohio, Iowa would take down rivals Iowa State. In that game, Caitlin Clark became the first player in men's or women's Division One hoops to reach at least 3,000 points, 750 boards, and 750 assists. See something else. UNC and Kansas State picked up big wins as well. South Carolina crushed Morgan State to stay undefeated. And Texas did the same to Long Beach State. On Sunday, there was an early game with the number two team in the country, UCLA, beating down a tough Florida State team. And if you've listened to my NBA podcast I mentioned earlier, you've heard me talk about Heat rookie Yame Yakez. He's a stud for the Heat right now. And his sister, Gabrielle Yakez, has been doing really good things on this undefeated UCLA team as a freshman. Ohio State and Penn State put up a good good game. Two two ranked teams, Buckeyes took that in overtime. NC State stayed undefeated with a win over Liberty. Virginia Tech, Iowa, Louisville, and Creighton all got big wins. Number one, South Carolina took down number 11, Utah. And Marquette beat Illinois for those two teams to both remain undefeated. UConn had another tough out-of-conference matchup. They've had some tough ones, and this one was against UNC. It was back and forth and would go down the stretch, but UConn did enough to win. And in the game, that Paige Becker, she looked amazing again, balling out on both sides of the floor. She passed a 1,000 career point mark in this one, tying Maya Moore for the shortest amount of games to reach a 1,000. They both did it in 55 games, which is pretty crazy. In football in college, uh, bowl season's upon us, but you did have the big Army and Navy game, and Army would jump ahead in, the, in this one in the second quarter. Navy would make it tight late, but Army would hold on for the big rival match and take it over Navy. And that brings us to our short 40th episode. We're still doing this, still going strong. I thought... Why not go back to Wren City in the UK? And one of my favorite places in London, it wasn't out of a history book or anything. It was Egg Nightclub. <laughs> Short little walk from King's Cross Station. But man, what a place that was. Multiple levels of dance music. Like, this isn't a place I went to sober either, I guess. I picked up some gear. Gear for my mates, as they said over there. 
Yeah, and this gear this time was, you know, MDMA. But, uh, yeah, certainly added to the atmosphere. I'm not condoning drug use in any way, but, you know, this was Ren City's life at the time in London. So, c'est la vie, you know. <laughs> I'd do the gear, as they said, and, uh, yeah, have a hell of a time. One level, there were mirrors at the end. Didn't know. Boom, walked right into the mirror like a pigeon flying into a window. So that wasn't ideal, but yeah, it was crazy. You didn't really know, and then you have a look at yourself, fix your hair. I imagine that happens to many people. They probably have to windex the shit out of that window from people walking into it. But uh, yeah, it was it was so so much fun, so much dancing. You were so sweaty, you know. Obviously, from the dancing, the amount of people, and the drugs. But uh, knowing uh, how those drugs work, lots of water. So I was putting water back like I was a goldfish, but do what you had to do. And you dance and dance and dance. The music, you know, with these remixes, they just keep going. You think, man, this I know the song, but it turns out you've been dancing for 15 minutes or whatever. <laughs> One time I was there with my nephew, and he was trying to get pulled into a stall by another dude. When he yelled and screamed at the guy, pushed him. The, this guy was Jack, way bigger than my nephew, and he just broke down and started crying. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but yeah, you just go dance and you groove forever. Another night out, I was out of gear. This is a no-no, never buy gear where you are, right? You don't know what's in it. But at this point, Renny's like, I need some more gear, mate. I don't know why I got Australian. But uh, <laughs> went there, got got more gear from some guy near a speaker, got even crazier. And the night just goes on forever. You go outside to get some air. It's light out. It's daytime. You're like, why is this still open? <laughs> it's not like clubs and bars in Saskatoon here. That was like something I've never seen. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Except the only bad thing about this is when you gotta leave, right? It's light time, it's daytime, you gotta get home. You can't stay here forever, unfortunately. So, yeah, you're, you're roaming through London like Gollum, trying to find your way home. Because you have to use public transport, and these are normal people going to work in the morning. And you're like, eh, pupils big as saucers, you're hissing at people, just trying to get home. It's not the best look by any means, but hey, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes and uh, you got to hiss at people to get home, you do it. <laughs> but yeah, you crawl back home, go in the bed, sleep that one off. That one took a while, but yeah, Egg Nightclub, 40. I don't want to be hitting that club at 40, but uh, 40th episode in the books. We did it. Hope to keep going, get another 40 and then some, but yeah, guys, thanks for coming out. Another sports and shorts of sorts in the book. Uh, episode 40 we've got another big week coming up champions league football the group stages end this week all kinds of fun stuff so tune in have fun christmas season get your shit together but get safe doing it take care everybody ren city out <laughs>